0: Welcome to Week in Review, where we recap issues and events pertinent to central Illinois. I'm WNBD News Director Cooper Banks. Pritzker versus Bailey. As if it came to no surprise, the top two likely gubernatorial general election candidates coming into the election year end up being the two who will run against one another for rights to the governor's mansion this November. We heard from both candidates after their primary election victories were announced statewide late Tuesday night. Here's what the two men had to say to their supporters, starting with the Republican nominee, Darren Bailey.
1: Thanks be to God, we did it! And we're going to do it again. (laughs) Stephanie, that was an absolutely amazing speech. Thank you so much. It is an honor and I am proud to stand here with you. Thank you. Friends tonight, your voices were finally heard. The voices of working families, parents, taxpayers, law enforcement, and everyday citizens. Voices from the farms. The suburbs, the city of Chicago, (laughs) and every place in between. Let's hear it up for Chicago tonight. We got anybody here? Uh huh. Right there's how it's going in Chicago. God bless you. Wow. Thank you. This is awesome. (laughs) Oh, tonight our movement sent a clear message to the establishment and the political elites. We will not be ignored. Yeah. Now, is the, now is the time to unite and move forward, and we will do that, friends. Throughout this campaign, people have referred to me as a downstate farmer. <laughs> and you know what? They're right. I'm proud to be a family farmer. And I love to remind people what farmers do. They feed the world. Thank you. We get up before the sun comes up. And often we work until after it goes down. And that's certainly the kind of work ethic we're going to need to get Springfield back on track. We fix things that are broken. We solve problems. And we grow things. And as a matter of fact, over 250 years ago... It was a group of farmers who founded and grew the greatest country on the face of this earth. And I think they did a pretty good job. I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud to be the son of the great state of Illinois. But we're all here because we know that Illinois is in trouble. Decade after a decade of mismanagement in Springfield, back-to-back billionaire governors who don't understand the struggles of working people, and where has that gotten us? Nowhere. People and businesses leaving Illinois in droves, looking for work, affordable housing, lower taxes and better opportunities. They're leaving they're leaving because Springfield and the political elites. Have failed every one of us, and now the elites and the press say that Pritzker's a shoe in. <laughs> you get it? They say our fate's set, no. that a farmer can't beat a billionaire. Oh, yes. Friends, the funny thing is, these same people said that we couldn't win the primary.
2: You can hear Darren Bailey's victory speech there. We are going to...
1: Working people and taxpayers like us, it's that simple. You and I have to balance our family budgets. Billionaire Pritzker has never had to. And he's lying to us about the state's budget. Let me share some truth with you. Each of the state's five pension funds have been $4 billion short of what they should be. If he's balancing the budget, well, he's using your retirement money to do it. Pritzker doesn't understand how skyrocketing gas prices and soaring food prices make everyday life harder for Illinois families like you and I. He doesn't understand how his and Joe Biden's extreme national agenda helps fuel inflation, and increases utility bills for families like us across Illinois. He doesn't understand the damage that his lockdowns did to small businesses, schools, mental health, and working families all across this state. He doesn't understand that his war on police has fueled the war on our streets, making our neighborhoods dangerous all across this state.
0: Post-primary statements from Darren Bailey, the winner on the Republican side. Pritzker punching back with a jab about how Republicans think things like books, critical race theory, and social justice are, quote, more dangerous for children.
3: More of a threat to our children than AR-15s and ghost guns. Elected leaders ought to have obligations to common sense, to justice, and to the truth we are not ever going to put the LGBTQ community back into a closet. And we are not going to abandon the rights and freedoms of our black and brown citizens because some GOP ad maker figured out how to spin a melody out of a dog whistle. And here in this state, we are not going back on a woman's right to choose. Abortion is safe and legal in Illinois, and as long as I'm governor, it will remain so. Because in this state, we trust women. We trust women to make health care decisions about their own bodies without government interference. That's why pro-choice legislators and activists work so aggressively and so effectively to remove the trigger laws here in Illinois. And it's why three years ago, I signed the Reproductive Health Act to guarantee a woman's right to choose. Democratic governors and Democratic legislators and Democratic attorneys general and elected Democratic state Supreme Court justices are the last line of defense in the preservation of freedom and democracy. We've held the line here in Illinois. We've made sure that this state remains an island of freedom among a rising sea of right-wing extremism. Democrats in our state up and down the ticket, have lifted up working families, secured our civil rights, restored parents' rights to a well-funded, quality education for our kids, helped small businesses get started and create more jobs, lowered the cost of medication, and raised the quality of care for older Americans. It's tempting to say that we're lucky to live here in Illinois, but luck actually has nothing to do with it. Your votes did that. Because Illinoisans vote fervently in the name of progress and your elected representatives understand that they answer to you. Yet the MAGA Republicans want to take us backward. So tonight, once again, I'm thinking about my mother about her perseverance and her willingness to accept the status quo, unwillingness to accept the status quo. And I hear her voice in my head, day after day these days, saying, hell no. We will not go back. 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 back. We have only one path and it leads forward. It has been a privilege to be your governor these last four years and I take very seriously my responsibilities to you and your family, to your life and your liberty and your pursuit of happiness. So long as I'm your governor, Illinois will be a bulwark of progress and equity and justice. But beginning today, We are in a pitched battle between an extremist Republican Party clinging to the big lie and a failed insurrection, and a Democratic Party that offers strong leadership and a future of progress and possibility. We have a fight ahead of us, so I have one question for you, Illinois. Are you ready for the fight? Are you ready for the fight, Illinois? Let's go get him, everybody. Thank you.
0: A woman on the inside of the Trump White House whose eyes and ears took in everything happening around her in the days leading up to and during the January 6th U.S. Capitol attack last year. Her testimony in Congress this past week was certainly not nothing. Cassidy Hutchinson served... (laughs) as a special advisor to then White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. She testified to the 1-6 House Select Committee on Tuesday.
2: Ms. Hutchinson, do you remember Mr. Giuliani meeting with Mr. Meadows on January second, twenty 2021?
4: I do. He met with Mr. Meadows in the evening of January second, twenty 2021.
2: And we understand that you walked Mr. Giuliani out of the White House that night um, and he talked to you about January 6. What do you remember him saying?
4: He looked at me and said something to the effect of, Cass, are you excited for the 6th? It's, it's going to be a great day. I remember looking at him and saying, Rudy, could you explain what's, what's happening on the 6th? Uh, he, he had responded something to the effect of, we're going to the Capitol. It's going to be great. The president's going to be there. He's going to look powerful. He's, he's going to be with the members. He's going to be with the senators. Talk to the chief about it. Talk to the chief about it. He knows about it.
2: And did you go back uh, then up to the West Wing and tell Mr. Meadows about your conversation with Mr. Giuliani?
4: I went back up to our office and I found Mr. Meadows in his office on the couch. He was scrolling through his phone, I remember leaning against the doorway and saying, I had an interesting conversation with Rudy, Mark, sounds like we're going to go to the Capitol. He didn't look up from his phone and said something to the effect of, there's a lot going on Cass, but I don't know things might get real real bad on January 6
2: when a president speaks the secret service typically requires those attending to pass through metal detectors known as magnetometers or mags for short the Select Committee has learned that people who willingly entered the enclosed area for President Trump's speech were screened so they could attend the rally at the ellipse they had weapons and other items that were confiscated pepper spray knives brass knuckles, tasers, body armor, gas masks, batons, blunt weapons. And those were just from the people who chose to go through the security for the president's event on the Ellipse, not the several thousand members of the crowd who refused to go through the mags and watched from the lawn near the Washington Monument. The Select Committee has learned about reports from outside the magnetometers and has obtained police radio transmissions identifying individuals with firearms, including AR-15s, near the Ellipse on the morning of January 6th. Let's listen.
5: The individual in a tree, going to be a
6: white male, about six feet tall, thin build, brown cowboy boots. He's got blue jeans and a blue jean jacket, and underneath the blue jean jacket, the complainant both saw a stock of an AR-15. He's going to be with a group of individuals, about five to eight, five to, uh, eight other individuals. Two of the
3: individuals in that group at the base of the street, near the porta bodies, were wearing green fatigues, green olive draft style fatigues, about five, eight, five, nine, skinny, uh, skinny white males, brown cowboy boots. They had Glock style pistols in their waistband.
6: 8736 with the message that subject, um, weapon on his right hip. Okay, that is in the tree motor one make sure ppd knows they have an elevated threat in the tree south side of constitution avenue look for the don't tread on me flag american flag face mask cowboy boots weapon on the right right side hip
4: i got three
2: men walking down the street in fatigue carrying ar 15 copy at 14 for independence is it your understanding that Mr. Ornato told the president about weapons at the rally on the morning of January 6th?
4: That's what Mr. Ornato relayed to me.
2: And here's how you characterize Mr. Meadows general response when people raised concerns about what could happen on January
7: 6th. Well, at the time in the days leading up to the 6th, there were lots of public reports about how things might go bad on the 6th, and even the potential for violence. If I'm hearing you correctly, what stands out to you is that Mr. Meadows did not share those concerns, or at least did not act on those
6: concerns?
4: Did not act on those concerns would be
2: accurate.
7: Okay. But other people raised them to, to him? Like in this exchange, you mentioned that Mr. Ornato pulled him aside.
2: That's correct. Ms. Hutchinson, we're going to show now an exchange of texts between you and Deputy Chief of Staff Ornato, um, and these text messages Uh, were uh, exchanged while you were at the ellipse. Um, In one text uh, you write, but the crowd looks good from this vantage point as long as we get the shot. He was effing furious. And the text messages also stress that President Trump kept mentioning the OTR and off the record movement. We're gonna come back and ask you about that in a minute. But could you tell us first of all who it is in the text who was furious? The he in that text that I was referring to was the president. And uh, why was he furious, Ms. Hutchinson? He was
4: furious because he wanted the arena that we had on the ellipse to be maxed out at capacity for uh, all attendees. The advance team had relayed to him that the mags were free flowing, everybody who wanted to come in had already come in, but he still was angry about the extra space and wanted more people to come in.
2: And you told us, Ms. Hutchinson, about particular comments that you heard while you were in the tent area.
4: When we were in the off-stage announce area tent behind the stage, he was very concerned about the shot, meaning the photograph that we would get, because the rally space wasn't full. Um, one of the reasons, which I've previously stated, was because he wanted it to be full and for people to not feel excluded because they'd come far to watch him at the rally. Um, And he felt the mags were at fault for not letting everybody in. But another leading reason, and likely the primary reason is because he wanted it full and he was angry that we weren't letting people through the mags with weapons, what the Secret Service deemed as weapons and our our weapons. (laughs) But when we were in the offstage announced tent, I was part of a conversation I was in the, I was in the vicinity of a conversation where I overheard the president say something to the effect of, you know, I, I don't effing I care that they have weapons, they're not here to hurt me, take the effing mags away, let my people in, they can march to the Capitol from here, let the people in, take the effing mags away.
2: Just to be clear, Ms. Hutchinson, is it your understanding that the president wanted to take the mags away and said that the armed individuals were not there to hurt him?
4: That's a fair assessment.
2: Let's turn now to what happened in the president's vehicle when the Secret Service told him he would not be going to the Capitol after his speech. First, here is the president's motorcade leaving the Ellipse after his speech on January 6th. Ms. Hutchinson, when you returned to the White House in the motorcade after the president's speech, where did you go?
4: When I returned to the White House, I walked upstairs towards the Chief of Staff's office, and I noticed Mr. Renato lingering outside of the office. Once we had made eye contact, he quickly waved me to go into his office, which was just across the hall from mine. When I went in, he shut the door, and I noticed Bobby Engle, who was the head of Mr. Trump's security detail, sitting in a chair, just looking somewhat discombobulated and a little lost. Um, I, I looked at Tony, and he had said, did you effing hear what happened in the beast? He said, no, Tony, I I just got back. What happened? Tony proceeded to tell me that when the president got in the beast, he was under the impression from Mr. Meadows that the -the off-the-record movement to the Capitol was still possible and likely to happen, but that Bobby had more information. So once the president had gotten into the vehicle with Bobby, he thought that they were going up to the Capitol, and when Bobby had relayed to him, we're not, we don't have the assets to do it, it's not secure, we're going back to the West Wing. The President had very strong, very angry response to that. Um, Tony described him as being irate. The President said something to the effect of, I'm the effing President, take me up to the Capitol now. To which Bobby responded, sir, we have to go back to the West Wing. The president reached up towards the front of the vehicle to grab at the steering wheel. Mr. Engle grabbed his arm, said, sir, you need to take your hand off the steering wheel. We're going back to the West Wing. We're not going to the Capitol. Mr. Trump then used his free hand to lunge towards Bobby Engle and... Mr. When Mr. Ornato had recounted this story to me, he had motioned towards
2: his clavicles. And was Mr. Engel in the room as Mr. Ornato told you this story? He was. Did Mr. Engel correct or disagree with any part of the story for Mr. Ornato? Mr. Engel did not correct or disagree with any part of the story.
0: The 1-6 committee committed to more hearings through the summer. Illinois State Police and the state's Attorney General came out to the podium this past week announcing what could be seen as a rather controversial initiative, although many law enforcement leaders are behind it. A new online gun tracking program, which they say is designed to curb gun crime and help with investigations. Attorney General Kwame Raoul and ISP Director Brandon
5: Kelly offered details on Thursday. Well, good morning. Um, thank you all for being here. Uh, I'd like to begin by thanking our partners um, um, who are here today, uh, of course, uh, State Police Director Brennan Kelly, uh, Chief Mitchell Davis, past president of the uh, Illinois Association of Chiefs of Police, and uh, Hazel Kress, uh Police Chief uh, Leo Schmitz from Cook County Sheriff's office, Dan Katowski, my uh, former colleague in the legislation, legislature and executive director of kids uh, above all, um, Kim Smith, director of programs at the University of Chicago Crime Lab, um, Casey Atayero, chief external affairs officer at the Joyce Foundation, uh, and Valerie Burgess from Moms Demand Action. Um three and a half years ago, when i uh took home as attorney general, one of my priorities was to try to work comprehensively uh notwithstanding limited uh, uh prosecutorial jurisdiction on reducing uh gun violence uh, We've made uh contributions by stepping in sometimes for local prosecutors to prosecute murders, armed robberies, gun trafficking cases. We've expanded our crime victim's services to better respond to uh, gun violence survivors. Uh, We have enthusiastically uh, accepted a new responsibility given to us by the legislature to partner with the Illinois State Police on prosecuting gun-related crimes on our state roadways. Uh, We've partnered with Secret Secret Service's National Threat Assessment Center on conducting trainings to help prevent mass shootings in schools, uh, places of worships, and other places of uh, mass gathering, and we've trained on our state's red flag law. But one of the top priorities coming into the office for me was to try to develop a state-of-the-art crime gun tracing platform. Because it's one of the most effective ways to investigate gun trafficking and straw purchasing. Tracing guns recovered after they are used in a crime can help identify the purchaser, but also co conspirators and witnesses. On top of that, crime gun tracing can provide a better look at trends and patterns of how guns are finding their ways into the hands of people we know will do bad with them. While this critical data is maintained by uh, the ATF and available to law enforcement agencies, the process for these uh, law enforcement agencies is, uh, is really onerous to go through these records. For instance, federal law prevents crime gun records from being digitized, meaning records are still stored in paper form instead of being able to search and analyze data immediately law enforcement agencies that request tracing data must sort uh, through, through paper records and spreadsheets to get basic information on the source of crime guns uh, this is often a valuable time loss so we worked in collaboration with Everytown for Gun Safety and we hired data scientists, uh, uh, some consultants to help us develop a system that will modernize and simplify the process of analyzing crime gun traces for Illinois law enforcement agencies. The system will be made available through the Illinois State Police along with other tools that they have developed to help law enforcement agencies solve gun crimes. Crime Gun Connect will allow law enforcement agencies in Illinois to access critical cr- crime gun trace records more efficiently than ever before. This platform will allow law law enforcement agencies to crack down on illegal gun trafficking by analyzing firearms recovered uh, when they are used in a crime. Crime Gun Connect is a tool for law enforcement uh, that is informed by law enforcement. In developing the platform we incorporated feedback that we received in a prior version of a, tracing, uh, well, of a tracing tool. Crime Gun Connect contains over 100,000 crime gun trace records from approximately 200 law enforcement agencies in Illinois dating back to 2009. The platform also incorporates sophisticated mapping technology as well as an algorithm that helps identify the individuals most likely involved in tra- trafficking. In short, Crime Gun Connect will take trace records that have always been paper based and make them available in a format that allows searching, sorting, and filtering in a quick manner. While we cannot show you a Crime Gun Connect itself in sort of live form, I'm going to bring up real quick, Adam Braun, my executive deputy, uh, to do a quick demonstration so that you can get a sense uh, of the data uh, that law enforcement can, can, can access. Uh, thank you,
7: uh, Attorney General Raul. Um, as the Attorney General mentioned, shortly after taking office, he directed us to establish a crime gun tracing portal. And the goal in creating this portal was to close a gap created through the advocacy efforts Um, of groups such as the NRA, they've been able to successfully attach riders to federal appropriations bills that prevent the ATF from maintaining these records in a digital format. The records are literally kept on paper and stored at a facility in West Virginia. As a result, there is no comprehensive electronic database available to law enforcement when they want to search the provenance of a gun used in the commission of a crime. So as the Attorney General stated, we've developed Crime Gun Connect to address that problem. The system contains uh, over 100,000 crime gun trace records from nearly 200 Illinois law enforcement agencies dating back to 2009. Um, And though the ATF um, maintains these records on paper, there is uh, the ability to uh, request and receive uh, crime gun trace records electronically. And agencies can further opt into something called collective data sharing. And when they do so, they share their records with other law enforcement agencies in the state. And that's how we've built this system. As you can see uh, on the monitor, we've built a system that allows law enforcement to search for information the same way we all Google information every day. Rather than sorting through piles and piles of paper records, Law enforcement can enter basic information into the search box to immediately get records relevant to their investigation. The platform also incorporates sophisticated mapping technology. While uh, the recovery data that uh, populates the system is limited to the state of Illinois, we're able to use the system to build a nationwide picture as to the source of crime guns that are used in the Commission of Crimes in Illinois. The system also includes uh, sophisticated filtering options and algorithms that elevate those firearms most likely to have been trafficked or uh, the result of straw purchasing. As you can see here, the system will allow law enforcement to filter by geographic range, types of crime, time to crime, and certain indicators that we know to be likely uh, indicia of trafficking
0: and straw purchasing. Again, that online gun tracking program announced to help try and curb gun crime. A surprise winner in Central Illinois, the Republican primary for State House District 93 goes not to Pekin Mayor Mark Luff, but to up-and-coming politician Travis Weaver. I caught up with him after his win on primary election night. Candidate for State Representative 93rd District. All right. So uh, it would appear the vote count is in. And you could count yourself the winner in the district, I would ask initially, for your reaction to what appears to be a, kind of a rather convincing win tonight.
6: Yeah, well, I, I really appreciate it. You know, we um, really put in hard work for the last six months, and I'm, I'm just so incredibly honored to have the team that I have to help me put this together. And, you know, today was a tough day because you put in all the work, and now it's just about trusting that the hard work's been done and is going to pay off.
0: I would ask, of course, you I, you – mentioned the idea you felt pretty confident coming into tonight. I would probe that a bit and ask, okay, why is that, uh, Mark Luft, a well-established incumbent both in local politics yeah. and in state politics? Talk to me about what made you feel so well, confident. There, there's
6: a couple things there. The first one is it, it's a newly drawn district. So this district that I ran in it was 90% new geography from the old district. Mm. And all that new geography is a lot of really rural conservative farm ground and, you know, I was raised a farm kid. I was an FFA president, and uh, I, I just got a lot of family in the district. My dad represented it as a state senator several years ago. So I, I knew the people that lived there. I knew what their values were, what they wanted in a representative. And I I just felt really comfortable about uh, my ability to represent them because I, I knew them, and I really felt like I was cut from the same cloth. And so as I went around, I, I just saw a lot of head nodding because it's, it's farmers, it's concerned parents, it's small business owners. Uh, it's people that I really, really relate with. And, um, you know, just the more time I spent with them, the more I just felt like it was going to be a good night tonight.
0: Uh, kind of just for my own edification, it looks like, uh, you know, unless somebody slides a Democrat in there, you, you've got the seat. Um, what, what does that look like? Remind me.
6: Yeah, so there, uh, there currently isn't a Democrat on the other side. Okay. Um, it is a pretty strong conservative district, close to two-thirds Republican kind of a deal. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and this year where we're expecting a pretty strong red wave nationwide, um, there certainly could be somebody um, that would run, you know, in, in which case I would certainly um, reach out to them, meet them, um, you know, re- respect them as a challenger. But for the time being, there's, there's currently nobody on the other side.
0: Talk to me a little bit about, okay, uh, now you're kind of in a mode where you're probably already thinking about, what artwork you're going to put up in your future office, and th- you know, things beyond that, of course, legislative priorities. What is it you want to tackle when you get in there?
6: Well, my background at Caterpillar is in finance and strategy. Um, I also own a small business. So a, a key reason I'm getting into this is because I just took a look at what our state's problems were, and uh, they're, they're pretty frightening. You know, nation's largest unfunded pension liability, nation's worst credit rating, nation's largest debt ratio, nation's heaviest tax burden. And so I'm really excited to lean on my background to bring some of those tools to the, uh, to the table. And my, my day one challenge is, is what I call actuarial integrity. The state of Illinois says that we have about $150 billion in pension liabilities, while Moody's Investor Services says that we have $300 billion in unfunded pension liabilities. Those two numbers shouldn't be different. And so one thing I'm really excited to bring to the table is getting serious about our, um, how big the problem is having having integrity around around how we're valuing it because i'm a firm believer that it's hard to address a problem without knowing what the problem is and how big the problem is and so step one we've got to have actuarial integrity
0: i have to ask i just have to because the trump brand has connected itself to a state candidate in darren bailey who i know you're enjoying Mm -hmm. an evening with tonight how do you or would you care to Keep the Trump name out of your campaign if you were to or out of your efforts going forward. Is that a problem for you? Do you see it that way or is it something you pretty much are at this point just kind of like shrugging off any association whatsoever and you're going to just go forward with the office, how does that look for you, at least in your eyes? Yeah,
6: no, it's a it's a good question. You wouldn't be surprised to know that it's one that I get pretty frequently knocking on doors. Sure, and uh, I, I have no problem with it. You know, I'm proud to be endorsed by Darren Bailey. Darren Bailey is obviously endorsed by Donald Trump. And you know, when I think about President Trump's policies, he and I are, are pretty lockstep on things. I really appreciate uh, his tax cuts. I appreciate his stance on being pro life. I appreciate his stance on holding China accountable. You know, I will say. Uh, then I think uh, I will probably a little bit different character of leader. Mm. But as far as policy goes, um, we're pretty aligned, and I'm, I'm certainly proud to have Darren Bailey's endorsement.
0: You know, you talk about how, um, you, you know, you'll be serving a large agricultural district, and I'm curious to know what, what may be specific, like, um, you know, uh, personally, not personal, but, like, list items, just short list things that, you know that are really near and dear to your constituents' hearts that you really would like to see pursued, uh, not only by yourself and you know some of your Republican counterparts, but also that you think you might be able to work with Democrats on anything you could think of on that front too.
6: Yeah, and you know, ag, ag is so important because I, I just recently listed off a whole bunch of problems with Illinois, but we also have a ton of strengths, and one of them at the very top of the list is some of the world's best farm ground. You know, right here in Illinois, we're number one or two in corn and beans, we're number four in hogs, and we really need to embrace that. Um, You know, one thing I think is just pretty common sense is just thinking about, can we do a 10% variance on load limits Mm. um, for trucks during harvest season so that it's easier for farmers to get their goods to market? Mm. How do we make sure that we've got really, really good, high-quality roads so that at the end of the season, when farmers are really in a a rush to get their goods to market, that they can make sure – um, that they've got that there. You know, then there's also just some simple things like um, how we depreciate assets here in Illinois because farmers are in a tricky spot because they're price takers on the front end when they buy their fertilizer at the commodity price, mm-hmm. and they're price takers on the back end when they sell their commodities at market, they're at a commodity price. Mm-hmm. And so anything that Illinois does differently than, say, Iowa or Indiana directly impacts a farmer because they can't really negotiate when they're buying and they can't really negotiate when they're selling.
0: All right. Uh, I was just going to leave the floor open for you, Travis, to go ahead and mention anything else that you think would be important as you likely step into this new role and get to know voters a little bit more.
6: Yeah. You know, one key piece of my platform that we didn't touch on is our state's education system. Mm -hmm. Uh, We really have a lagging high school graduation rate. We trail all of our neighboring states in that. And I think every politician in history has probably said that kids are our future. But for me, that's an area where I really try to put my time where my mouth is. I substitute teach at Burnfield High School. I tutor GED students. I head the education committee at Wildlife Prairie Park. And I just know that we've got to do a better job for our kids. So I would encourage any parents out there, any students out there, that if you've got ideas you want to bring forward, um, you know, I'm just one guy. And I've got 108,000 constituents. And I've got some ideas of how we can fix things, but I'm really excited to empower my constituents to really engage all 108,000 people so the best ideas can come forth.
0: That does it for this edition of Week in Review. Join us at this time next week on this Midwest 360 station for another recap of some of the biggest issues and events in central Illinois. You don't have to wait for Week in Review to get the lowdown on what's happening in central Illinois. For instant news 24-7, follow us at 1470 WMBD on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and at 1470 WMBD.com. I'm Cooper Banks, WMBD News.